Blog Talk Radio. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its words will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against God. Don't you know that? I believe, I believe. I believe in the word of God. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Uh, tonight we're going to do a uh, another live show, actually, and uh, just getting the uh, well, getting the juices flowing, uh, getting back used to doing live shows. Uh, it's been a very long time since we uh, did any live shows on BTR, but. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor uh, to uh, to do this, to uh, to do this ministry, to be able to do it. Um, it's quite a blessing to be able to uh, go live and reach out to people all across the world, uh, like we do here. It uh, really is uh, absolutely amazing uh, that we can do that. It it, it really is quite. Well, it's quite invigorating, and it's and it's and it's quite encouraging to be able to do this uh, as we do it. Let's get uh, Aaron on. Aaron, how you been doing uh, this afternoon? Well, it's not the afternoon here, but <laughs> um, I'm doing good. Uh, I've been just kind of. Exploring random things, but no, I'm good. So it's amazing to me that, um, oh my goodness, when I first started using uh, BTR to go live, um, wow, you were just a boy, um, and you've seen, wow, you've actually seen this progress to the point that you've been, uh, wow, that's. Uh, that's quite encouraging to me. I mean, that's that's quite a blessing uh, to be able to, well, actually have you be a part of the program. That's that's actually uh, a pretty amazing thing uh, to even uh, <laughs> be able to talk about, you know, uh, end-time Bible stuff, anything actually that we want to talk about. And this is the type of thing that is desperately needed today, son. This is desperately Amen. needed. Um, you know, we were just talking about this the other day. We don't have any format for discussion, really, outside of, you know, what you and I do between us. I mean, that's that's basically the extent of our being able to discuss biblical topics. And... So so it's pretty important that we be able to at least teach people how to have a discourse about the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean that's a people that's a pretty important yeah. thing. 
people don't seem to think that that's an option anymore. And I don't know why that is. I absolutely don't know why that is. And it amazes me that, well, just this, just this very day, I had somebody wanting to have a conversation with me. And they were really wanting to talk about a particular thing, having no idea that, well, people naturally assume that if you talk about the end times, you're going to talk about that one nefarious event, right? And it was kind of uncomfortable because, I mean, they went on and on and on and on and on. And I realized I couldn't tell them that I had been convinced of something that was not in the scripture when they had completely invested all of their time into this topic. So they've watched all kinds of media about it. They've done absolutely everything they could possibly do except study the scripture itself. And you take chapters in the Bible like, Oh, when I was looking at again today, Psalm 33, that flies in the face of everything he's been convinced of. So Isaiah, how does it start out? It flies in the face of all that crap. And I really couldn't say anything. So, so the conversation was really extremely lopsided, and he didn't even know it. He didn't even realize it. And that can be pretty disparaging when you can't have a biblical discussion with what the Bible actually says with other Christians. That's very disparaging, discouraging. And today, you and I got to talking about this one particular <laughs> nefarious topic and it's just on my been on my mind today that these things have to be answered in a place part and parcel with what happened at the cross with what happened after the cross and with which the bible goes on to say that well christ most assuredly entered preached to the spirits that were in prison correct what the Bible plainly says, yes? Amen, that is what it says. And um, people try to, you know, mess around with interpretation, but it, it, that's just the clearest interpretation, a literal one that Jesus himself descended to the underworld. Though the Gospels don't record this event, um, at least the canonical Gospels, they will not uh, record this event, um, the uh, Peter, you know, when approached about this, clearly and openly spoke about it as if he knew. He knew for sure that this interpretation was the exact interpretation of Isaiah when it says that Jesus came to set the captives free. That being the case... I don't think everybody realizes what the thief on the cross 
got for a response from Jesus because Jesus comes off the hook. Make no mistakes about it. What you just plainly stated, that Christ most assuredly entered the underworld. However, he told the thief on the cross something else. He told the thief on the cross that, well, he was obviously not going to be there very long because he said, this very day you will be with me in paradisio, in paradise. Now, doesn't this create quite a conundrum, Aaron? I mean, did he go to Hades? Did he go to paradise? Or is paradise in Hades? What say you? Okay, so here is the the place where the issue lies, okay? Do you believe that sin is not just a little thing? The sinful nature is a seed in our flesh. It is real. It's because of this thing in our flesh that we have the sinful nature and we are subject to death. Do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> absolutely, you can't you can't get away from that. You you absolutely cannot get away from that. I I mean, just read First Corinthians chapter five. You can't get away from it. So, yes, indeed, I agree. So, Jesus, when all the sin of the world was laid on his head, it was literally laid on him. And not only did it make Jesus a pure man who never sinned in his life, subject to death, Jesus descended to the underworld, and what would happen to a spirit with that many sins on his head? He would have been punished beyond any shadow of a doubt. He would have been punished. He would have been Heavy laden there, waiting for the doom of judgment. I mean, he would have found himself in the same exact place that the rich land owner found himself in opposite of Abraham and Lazarus. That's what would have happened to him. So, needless to say, Jesus' spirit would have descended in the underworld emphatically. Um, And so just putting the logic behind it, he had to. Um, um, For those of you who don't know what the harrowing of hell is, it's in in the epistles of Peter, and it says that into, um, into the prison where he preached the spirits in prison, who it goes into and specifies that they were the um, that they were like the spirits in the time of Noah who were caught in disobedience at the time. Okay, so um, this is basically God showing mercy on them. He, he went down and he preached to these spirits who had a good heart but were caught in disobedience at the time. So. Um, with that in place, 
um, it's also mentioned all over the the um, the Pauline epistles that they say that he went to the lower depth. He went to the dark, the lowest places of the earth. So Jesus went, did not go straight to heaven. Okay, this is what we're getting at. He did not go straight to heaven, but at least by the day's end, he was going to be in paradise with this, uh, with this thief on the cross. So, um, we we were talking about um, the the confusion of of places. You know, where is the the order of places in there? So, um, I guess disclose your your your, uh, your points that you brought to me the other day. I said disclose with the points that you brought to me the other day about the uh, Abraham's bosom. Well, it, it you have to realize that 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 this is a separation. It it is a guff that is in the underworld. There's no doubt about that. When you say that this doesn't fit, well, it really doesn't fit because, like you stated in Peter, it states that. He went and preached to the spirits that were was in prison, i.e. the underworld. But Abraham's bosom was still in the underworld. It was still in Hades. It was just separated by this gut. You can find actually a text by Josephus called the Discourse on Hades. He describes how the Jews viewed the underworld. But there, in, in Hades, Hades isn't just hell. You can't just translate Hades hell because there's a place for the just and the unjust in the underworld. And it, uh, uh, the, the um, patriarchs themselves, including Jacob, said, um, he said that he would take his gray hairs down into Sheol, down into Hades, Colossians 2, in reference to that the underworld is where he went. Uh, you know, so... Um, like so, you can't really translate Hades as hell because of that reason. It's a region, and it's broadly a term meaning the underworld. However, the main part it seems is made for the uh, the ungodly or the um, the uh, uh, those who are not followers of the way, who, who did not believe in the one God and who do not serve Him, their life. Um, they were put in this place that. Uh, Jesus referred to as Abraham's bosom. Okay, in Genesis chapter 16, um, uh, Sarah refers to Abraham's bosom in a sense that she says she gave Hagar into his bosom. Okay, and um, who is Hagar? Hagar was a Gentile. She was an Egyptian. And she wasn't part of the family. Okay, and she was being brought into the family of Abraham. Okay, and the um, the entire Bible revolves around the Abrahamic covenant, which is mentioned in uh, Genesis chapter 12, when God says that all people would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. So Abraham is the one whom God made the covenant that the Messiah is going to descend through you, and through you, all the rest of the world will be saved. Okay, 
So this is why Abraham is mentioned, is described by Jesus as the ruler over Abraham's bosom. Okay, it's an area. This is a lot like, it, it, it's a lot like the Greek idea of Elysian. You know, uh, the the good place separated from the rest of all the all the darkness and and the, and the burning. So um, this is basically trying to put this cosmology into you guys' head of what is happening. So commonly it has been viewed that um, Abraham's bosom is paradise. The issues with that is, is that there are two issues. Some believe that people were only able to go to paradise because of Jesus. Others, and, and the other point is, is that um, the um, that it says that paradise is in the third heaven. This is, this is the wording of it in the epistles. And um, because of that, um, uh, that's what causes some issues with that concept. Um, my dad has brought a very important idea. Are they not the same place? with the whole premise of setting the captives free. But it ties in with other scriptures as well. Because we have this, well, this this conundrum that Christ plainly stated that in his father's house was many mansions. And he was going to go to prepare a place for us. Now, The real question is, when the rubber hits the road, is this what he did was the harrowing of hell? Did he actually take those occupants that was in Abraham's bosom, and did he relocate them to paradise? And the problem with that is, is that... Uh, well, talk about the location of paradise, Aaron. What does the technical data say is the location of paradise? The third heaven, quote unquote. So, literally speaking, right now, is it possible that Abraham and all of the children of the promise, that means all of them, that means even uh, Samuel. We know that's where Samuel was because Samuel was called up, correct, by the witch of Endor. means David. It, it, it means everyone that has died a Christian since Christ. Is there no such place as Abraham's bosom anymore? Is that place been relocated to the third heaven? Because that's where paradise is. Now, this creates quite a stir whenever you get your hands dirty into the text. But literally speaking... This is the only thing that answers all the questions because 
there is no doubt that upon Christ returns, he brings the saints with him, correct? And yet it never says, it never says he goes to Hades first. Never says that. So if he is coming directly down Jacob's ladder, this is the only way he would be picking up the saints before his incursion into the terrestrial sphere. Now, this is the only thing, actually, that makes sense. It's the only thing that really makes sense. Now, does this mean that they're in God's heaven or the highest heaven? No, it doesn't. The throne room is at the top of heaven. It's in the heaven of heavens. So we're not saying that. All we are saying is is that the first one that knew exactly what was going on just happened to be the thief that was hanging there with Jesus. He was the first one to find out what was actually going to happen. So what's your thoughts on that? Does that make any sense whatsoever, or should that theory be rejected outright? What's your thoughts? Okay, so um, the the scripture says that um, that before Christ, God um, uh, accepted the ignorance of men. There were some people who never knew Jesus who never knew God, uh, or they might have worshipped him under another name, or whatever, but God would, uh, would help them sometimes. He would give them, them food, uh, rain, sorts of things, um, if they called out on him. I mean, they might have called him Zeus or something like that, but he knew the sincerity of their hearts and he would, they're ignorant. And I think this is what, I guess, Abraham's bosom would serve a purpose for that these people would enter into that place um, for you know the purposes of their ignorance but the pureness of their heart um, and this would explain why Jesus went down there to preach you know to to preach to them the truth so um and it also, the concept of, um, he says, I will go to prepare a place for you uh, in my father's house. Okay, and um, we know that after the millennial reign, the New Jerusalem is going to descend down. So it was Jesus going up to prepare the place, which was Eden, you know, paradise. You know, um, paradise is the word in the Septuagint, the Greek Bible, that is translated for Garden of Eden. And it's basically the paradise of God, uh, the, the, um, the Garden of God. And so this place in heaven is where um, Jesus went up to build the new Jerusalem. This, not only will Eden descend down, but also this Jerusalem, this mansion, this many mansions that Jesus was building for them. Well, let's, let's be kind of literal, shall we? 
Okay, let's be let's be kind of literal with with what we're we're doing here. Let's go to the text. We have this emphatically in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. It says, "I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, you're told emphatically, paradise is in the third heaven. It's in the third heaven. Exactly what Jesus said in Luke or in uh, John chapter 14, verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, what I have not told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So right here he's emphatic that he is going to a place, and that is emphatically where he's at. Now let's go to Luke chapter 23, verse 43. What exactly did he say? Verse 43, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. You don't have any leg to stand on to argue this point. Jesus himself said he was going for that with the statement from Second Peter, that there's just no real way around it. There's no way. There's there's just no way around it that we know that from the time of his death, what happened? We go to Second Peter, chapter two and verse four. Uh, uh, wrong one. That is the wrong one. I always go to that one. That's where he's. Preaching to these spirits. Um, uh, so it says most emphatically here that he went to the prison and preached to the people during the building of Noah's flood. So he went there. In that place is where Abraham's bosom was. He says he's going to paradise, and the only logical conclusion you can come to is that he transplanted Abraham's bosom up into the third heaven. That's the only thing that makes any, all the information and put it together. Because one thing's for sure, it plainly states 
that they will see Jesus coming, and it will terrify them, that event. He's not going to come past earth, go to Hades, and turn around and come back with the entire entourage. That's never what the Bible says. It never says that. So literally what you're looking at here, when you read the Bible, (laughs) put all the pieces together, this is what was being described with the harrowing of hell. This was the event where he set the captives free. He set them free from death. He set them free from Hades and transplanted them to the third heaven. Your thoughts, Aaron? Now that I really think about it, I think that's the most plausible conclusion. Um, I don't know. I think he probably preached even to the lowest round, um, not just paradise, the case. Because, I don't know, would you really refer to people in Abraham's bosom as being trapped? Well, I don't know what other way to put it because they certainly had not entered into judgment, but yet that certainly was not their reward. I mean, that that was certainly well. Not they their referred reward. to that it was a it was a pleasant place. I mean, you they had cold water there, and um, you know they weren't in suffering. Well. I guess that point is up to debate as to whether they had um, entered into the reward yet. But to say they were in punishment, no, I can't say they were in punishment. What point are you trying to get at exactly? I'm thinking that he went around and he preached, I guess, to all of the realms in the underworld. That's my feeling. Uh, He's releasing those spirits who would call on his name. And while he was putting on the... uh, He was putting on his head the sins of past, present, and future. So the spirit's there. He was willing to take on their sin if they would, if they would believe, and um, but I think that's a very powerful thing. But that's my feel to it. So, it's your feel that if, well, let's say, I don't know, um, let's say Jezebel. I mean, let's let's let the rubber hit the road, okay? Let's say Jezebel. So you are saying that if Jezebel was in Hades in her torment, that Jesus went there and preached, and if – I mean, of course she would have said she accepted Christ to get out of her punishment. Of course that's what she would have said. And I think that's the case too. I mean, Jesus came 
as looking as the most sinful man in all of existence. He had all sin on his head. I mean, it was, even for them, that would have been up to faith for them to believe that he that he was the son of God because he would come down looking, you know, darker than a demon would. I mean, if you really think about it. Well, I mean, whether that be true or not is beside the point. I mean, it really doesn't matter. One thing is for sure that that Abraham's bosom everybody there would have been evacuated. I mean, they were truly held captive by death because they were righteous. So the verse doesn't say he went there to set the punished free. That's not what it says. It says he set the captives free. And you're seeing it from a totally different view. I mean, you're saying that he went there to set the punished free. So I just don't know where you're getting that idea from, from the scripture itself. So so if, if you were to interpret it that way, I mean, how are they not still captive to death in paradise? Now that they're there. Say that again. <laughs> Say that again. What? Say that again. Okay. So 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 he was they were in Abraham's bosom, right? And you're saying he went down and set them free from death. But they're in paradise and they're still dead. How are they set free? Well, I mean that that is to say they're not in Hades anymore. But they're still dead. Death has been. You mean they don't have their bodies yet? Well, what? Well, let me ask a crazy question. What if these were a part of the group that were resurrected with him and come out of their tombs? I mean, I know that throws you a curveball. Well, whoever was harrowed, of course, if they ascended, I imagine the ones who are harrowed would have, you know, been resurrected. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's a really big, big question there, huh? I mean, because it never clearly states who it was that was resurrected with him, even though that event clearly happened. So, so I don't know. I mean, your your point is, I mean, death is a part of Hades. I, I mean, death in of itself is synonymous with Sheol. So if you're not there, you understand what I'm trying to say? The epitome of that phrase death is the same as saying Sheol. It is the same word as Hades. If you're dead, you're there. Well, it's not yeah, it's not the same word, but I see what you're saying. Um, though, they are, I don't know if you want to say that they're ever alive in Christ. I mean, they're not resurrected, and they're not 
you know, living, but I don't know. Um, it could be a reference to a movement. I don't know. In my opinion, I don't see a movement from one thing to another. If it is, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're once in a state of, you know, bliss, and then they move to another state of bliss. Uh, it doesn't feel like a movement from captivity. Well, well, let's go to the source text, shall we? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to take off and start reading here in the New American Standard Bible. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim a favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will rise up former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. The more I read, the more it's well, let's talk about this again. It goes on to say, strangers will stand in the pastures of flocks, foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers, but you will be called the priest of our God, and you will be spoken of as ministers of God, you will eat the wealth of nations. We've talked about this a hundred times. Literally what this is saying is that he has taken them back to the garden. We both know what Hebrews loudly states, Zion is in heaven. So literally everything that Isaiah chapter 61 is saying is exactly that event, that he took them to paradise, and they are there right now tending its gardens, and they are called oaks of righteousness. I mean, we could we could go through the entire chapter there, but literally, uh, so far, it's screaming out to me. I mean, how could these references to everlasting joy be theirs? I mean, that would pretty well be everlasting joy if you got transplanted from Abraham Abraham's bosom up to paradise, up to the garden. And let's explain yeah, I guess that you could people. say it wasn't. I guess you could say it wasn't. It wasn't permanent bliss on their way up. I mean, but they're moving from a state of bliss to bliss. Well, My what I'm trying to say. What, what I'm trying to say is that during this emptying of the bosom, I think he also preached to the other spirits. Well, I mean, cool beans. Um, and 
just a shout out to John Mark Gomez. I see he's in the chat room. Uh, let me say what's up. <laughs> to John Mark Gomez, he's in the chat room. Um, I don't even know how he got here. I didn't tell any. I mean, I only told AOD, AOD so I don't know. AOD must have posted it, but tripping stuff. Let's let's do a little bit of a brief overview for John Mark Gomez. This is what we're saying that Jesus said that he was going to go and prepare a place for us. This is exact quotes. Well, the Bible also says that he went and harrowed hell. He descended into the underworld and preached to the spirits. In prison, that's literally what it says, in prison. He turns right around and tells the thief where he's taking the thief. He's taking the thief, and they are going to be together in paradise. Now, the problem with this is the Bible once again states very clearly, paradise beyond any shadow of a doubt. I read it live on air. Paradise is in the third heaven. So literally speaking, when he went to Harrow hell and answered the prophecy of Isaiah 61, did he transplant them into the third heaven? That's where he took them. He took them to paradise, thereby setting those captives free that was in Abraham's bosom. When you read the text of the prophecy itself, Isaiah 61, that's what it screams. It screams that. And it screams that these people that were in Abraham's bosom, they are now called the oaks of righteousness. So they are literally tending the Garden of Eden right now. And for new listeners, we need to clarify this, that heaven, that dimension of heaven, called in the Bible God's throne. That's the throne. The, the, the earth or the physical creation, that's referred to as God's footstool. So imagine like it like this. He sits on his throne, and that's in heaven. And his feet rest on earth, his footstool. Jacob's ladder is between the two. It's two dimensions. What the fall actually did was fractured the dimensions. So now, paradise is in heaven and not on earth. Those two places do not connect. So, literally speaking, people were taken from the footstool. Now, we're making this perfectly clear. You have it from Josephus, and not only that, you have it in all the ancient texts. Everybody knew that Hades was not in heaven. No, it wasn't. It was below your feet. You could access it through, well, caverns. It was terrestrial. It was not in heaven. It was not in heaven. So uh, Aaron mentioned this work that Josephus did, and he comes right out and, and tells you that it is terrestrial. So what we're saying is, is that God took them from the foot, that Christ took those people that was in paradise. He took them from the footstool to the throne. He took them from earth to heaven. So those data points are just enough to blow you away in of themselves. 
but it, Aaron has come out and suggested that, well, he preached to everybody. And my best example to come up with as far as wickedness goes is Jezebel. So you're saying that Jezebel was in, and, and more importantly, uh, this rich young ruler that was there with Lazarus. So he accepted Christ and he got to repent of his sins too. I don't know of any biblical precedents for that. I really don't. Um, you know, Aaron, why don't you give some some justification for that thought process? I mean, why would you think he would go there and preach to the wicked and offer them salvation? Why do you think that? So just because somebody preached to you does not mean they're going to believe, okay? And Jesus comes to the underworld as a man clothed, you know, in sin. He he has all the sin of the world on his head. So he, so, so here, it's almost like if you were to see, um, uh, you know, a really poor man all with ragged clothes coming up to you and saying, I offer you riches. Uh, that's exactly what these spirits in the underworld have seen. So there was even a point of faith that had to be taken there. So, no, I mean, if Jesus came up as this shining light in there, of course everybody would have been like, oh, I believe in you, and went up. But I don't think that's what happened. I don't think there's precedence to that being what happened. But it says, see the text, it says, it doesn't say the only people who it says that he came to were most specifically the people who were caught in disobedience before the flood. So most specifically it's talking about disobedient people. So, huh. Well, I don't know. That's I don't know. That's that's kind of just off the hook uh, for me, anyway. To even you know allow my mind to go that far. But uh, let's go ahead and read the text of First Peter, the third chapter, starting with verse. Uh, oh, verse. Now we have to read verse eighteen because it's it kind of bleeds into it. For Christ also died for sins once for all, and just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So, now that we've come out and read it, um, hmm, let's, let's try that in KJV. 
let's 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 switch it up. Because that's the right one, isn't it? <laughs> you didn't go there. No, I'm just. It it's kind of tricky wording. So, um, let's do that again. Verse eighteen, First Peter chapter three. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickening by the Spirit. See, it's still really awkward in that translation. Let's try the web translation. Because Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous. See, that phrase needs to really be looked at. Uh, that he might bring you to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So, hmm, I don't know. It, well, I don't know, but that's why we're having this conversation, right? <laughs> that's why we're doing this live on the air, just having this biblical conversation, trying to hammer out the details. But really, this is just a side issue. Whether he offered salvation to those that were in Hades, that's really beside the point. I mean, whether I do or whether I don't disagree with that, you know, I'm just, really neither here nor there. Yeah, I think but I think that your your point is very very stable. The the scripture is clear that what well, has to be in the underworld this uh, the bosom of Abraham has to be in the underworld. Um then but the scripture also says that paradise is in heaven. So that must imply that they were two different places and one was moved to the other. Once again, if you go through Isaiah chapter 61, it's exactly what it This is what it sounds like to me. That the righteous people that were in Abraham's bosom is now tending the garden. Would you read it prophetically? That's what it's saying. And uh, uh, you just can't get around uh, uh, how it reads. I mean, there's just no doubt uh, what what the text is talking about as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, we have this in – before I read it, I'm going to read the whole thing, but before I do that, don't forget Hebrews – uh, chapter 12 verse 22 But you have come to Mount Zion And to the city of the living God The heavenly Jerusalem And to myriads of angels There is no doubt Zion Is in heaven And that is the place of the heavenly Jerusalem That's what he just said Do you have any problem believing that Eric? Nope Okay so I'm going to just sit back and just listen to this. If you sit back and listen to the text itself, it's going to scream at you, that's what he did with the people in Abraham's bosom. He took them back to the garden, and they are there now tending it. 
chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Aaron. He literally just told you he reconfigured them. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. But he literally just come out and said he reconfigured them, and whatever body it is they have now, they're called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Anyway, let me go on verse 4. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Now, like I just said, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, just said the heavenly Jerusalem. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. <laughs> Sorry, and foreigners and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers, but you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God, and you will eat the wealth of the nations, and in their riches is, you will boast. The, does anyone else notice how this is like? Uh, how much this sounds like it's talking about the millennial reign? Well, I, <laughs> I say what you Who are the to, foreigners? In the millennial reign is the only time that there are still sinful people out there. Right. There are foreigners right. who are outside of the covenant. Still outside the covenant. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's screaming. Anyway, verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion instead of humiliation. They will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt, will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adores herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause the righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. He literally just told you that you're getting these things as the bridal entourage, and they come with Jesus. I'm sorry, that's what it just said. There's 
there's just no escaping what this chapter is saying, that these people are in the, are in the heavenly uh, places rebuilding them, and they've been given this special type of body that's temporary, and it's called Oaks of Righteousness. And at the end, when the bridal procession takes place, they are given these, these well, it's, oh, good grief. He says that he adorns them as a bride with jewels, and now they're given, decked out with a garland and a robe of righteousness. There's no escaping it. He just explained to you exactly the course of events described by Jesus in multiple times he says that he's going to bring back the saints with him they rise first and he literally just described them getting their brand new bodies before they get here I'll read it for you again now take note earlier it said that they were given a body that's, that's, that's like the oaks of righteousness. But here, here, they're readorned. And this is where they get their resurrection body. First hint. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of what? That's right, salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and his bride adorns herself with jewels. I'm sorry, that's what he's describing to me. No escaping. As a matter of fact, standing back, that's the only way this chapter makes sense. I don't know. That's the only way this... (laughs) So... Anyway, um, <laughs> that's, you know, now that I've read the chapter of setting the captives free, I have no doubt that's what happened. I have no doubt that's what happened. I have no doubt that right now, these people that were in Abraham's bosom are now called the Oaks of Righteousness and they're in paradise. And what's more importantly, now I understand the inexpressible things that this gentleman was told that he wasn't permitted to speak about. Because now we know who was doing the talking. It was the saints in Abraham's bosom. That's what makes perfect sense to me. It doesn't make a little bit of sense. A better translation for that is not oaks of righteousness, but rams. Well, yeah, we haven't even tore into uh, the original language here. I'm getting all this just off the top. Now, that's what you should thats what should really blow you away about this, is a simple fact that, yeah, I haven't even tore this chapter apart. I haven't got out my notebooks or anything. Just off the surface reading, that's what Isaiah chapter 61 is screaming to me. So, (laughs) 
I don't know, just 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 a little off the hook, I guess. But let's go back to um, let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and and let's take another run at this, shall we? Let's take another run at this. Okay, we're going to read out of the New American Standard Bible. We're going to start in verse 2. Okay. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, I hate to rain on everybody's party. Now it makes perfect sense as to why he was not permitted to speak because he was speaking to Abraham, David, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Leah. And don't you realize that they had all the information? They had everything. They could have told him everything from beginning to end. They could have told him exactly what was going to happen. So now it makes sense as to why he was not permitted this vision. And this has always been a real catch-22. How did this man's trip to paradise in the third heaven, how did that benefit the body? That's what bothers me, because everything is done for the ecclesia, and yet this gentleman gets taken up to paradise, and he's not allowed to share with the ecclesia what happened. Now, riddle me that, Aaron. What was the purpose of his trip if he was not going to benefit the body of Christ? What's your thoughts on that? The trip edified him to better um, aid the body of Christ. That's what I think. Well, so he was the only one that benefited. Is that what you meant by that phrase? By that statement? Because he Uh, he was he was he was bettered. He was edified by the trip by through which he was. able to better help the rest of the church. He just wasn't allowed to tell what 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 went on up there. Yeah, like I mean, think about the fact that John heard something in in the Revelation of John, he heard something but wasn't able to write it down. Mhm. Well, I guess I want to say this. I guess my point was this, and you didn't catch it. What if we just discovered here this very night how this gentleman was able to edify the ecclesia? Till this point, 
that bit of technical data never served a purpose because he was never allowed to write in the Bible what it was he was told. But this very night, we figured out why that was in the Bible. I mean, is that not possible? That this could be the end time and such information was allowed to be shined right now? What if he was never allowed to tell the church that, by the way, what I found out in the third heaven, what I found out what was going on was Isaiah chapter 61. That was, that's actually taking place. I'm not saying that is the case. I'm saying what if. <laughs> I'm saying what if. You know, Let's, let's talk about this. Where do they say these, these, these mansions are that Christ is preparing? I mean, that's, that's a good uh, question. They have their cosmology all off. Now they keep their taking, but they're all going to the throne room. <laughs> they're all going to the throne room. Wow. So I blame get I blame straight. translations for that. <laughs> well, I don't blame translations for that. I blame bad shepherds for that. But anyway, I think what we've covered tonight is just enough to trip your mind out that these are the important questions, and it amazes me how nobody will actually get their hands dirty and consult the actual text and find out what's going on. Well, if they, they also have allowed the – I mean, you can read your Bible and someone over your shoulder telling you how to interpret it. And that's how they've done. They, they've read their Bibles through having commentaries that tell you, oh, this is what it's talking about. So um, they have allowed someone else's lens to bend them. And that's a really big problem. Um, the reason why my dad here has, has, has not been subject to a lot of the things today, why his cosmology, why, why his eschatology is so different than everyone else, because he didn't have a person over his shoulder. He didn't have a person over his shoulder. Tell us your story, Dad. Oh, they've heard it many times. No need for me to go back through it again. <laughs> John Mark, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, my dad. Well, with my, you. He says, but yeah, my dad. Go ahead. He 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 never had a, a he had a speaking disability most of his life, his his childhood life, and he um. So, so he would just read the Bible to pass the time and things like that. So he didn't have a person telling him, this is how you translate your Bible. And that is how people have allowed themselves to be bent. And this is also how people have fallen astray to the concept of evolution and things like that. Because people have a way of making themselves sound bigger and smarter than you. 
to shut you down. But that does not mean they're right. No, it doesn't mean they're right at all. But it sounds like to me that this is the only chain of events that makes sense. It's really the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, and people. Um, if if you were to read it, if everyone were to read it in context, with no bias, they would come to a conclusion like we have. Well, anyway, boy, it's made for a pretty for for a pretty tripping show. Right off the cuff. It's, uh, you know what I was thinking about doing, Aaron? I was thinking about doing just some, just some, just read the Bible. Because I, you realize I've had people request that I read the Bible for them on their programs? Because I, well, it, it's quite obvious that to people that I read it like I believe it. I, I read it like I'm, I don't know. But I've had many people ask me to read the Bible for their program. I'm like, no, I'm not going to read my, I mean, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? But. Yeah, let's bring on Matthew, the Bible reader. (laughs) I don't know. I, I. you know, I, I was thinking about maybe trying that tomorrow, though. Just, just I don't know. Maybe I'll just read this chapter, um, read a few of them. But you know, because when I read it, I really do have effect when I read it. I mean, uh, well, case in point, um, I remember one time um, I had to memorize uh, the entire chapter of First Corinthians chapter five, so it's with me always. Um, I can actually preach it just by reading it. Most people can't do that, but I know what it says, and I understand what it says. So I deliver it as it's supposed to be. So I'll just read it, and you know, you'll know, you get your Sunday spanking just if I read it. <laughs> so, you know, but like I've said a trillion times before, if you don't believe it, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you if you don't believe it. And that is the real problem, that when the rubber hits the road, most people do not believe it. I mean, you could ask them some very simple questions. Really, you're a Christian. Well, so do you believe in evolution? Do you believe the earth is millions of years old? And quickly, quickly, you're able to find out, no, of course they don't believe it. So, you know, it's it's things like that that is really, really discouraging, really disparaging. So, you know, it's good to uh, hang out. But you know what? I'm just going to say this to John Mark Gomez right now. Tomorrow at 9 o'clock, I'm going to do this again. And... I think I need to set up a schedule. You know, because 
both times we did this, John Mark Gomez was here. Maybe I did just ask him what day I should do it because I'm seriously thinking about going back to the beginning. Now, here's how I did it originally. Now, this is before John Mark Gomez ever even heard the End Time Tribune. This is way back in 2010. I broadcast live every Tuesday and Thursday nights faithfully every Tuesday and every Thursday. But now, in my job now, I'm off every other Wednesday. So, you know, maybe I would just ask him to ask around. John, Jam, do you want to ask around what would be a good night for me to broadcast live? Because this needs to happen. It doesn't need to happen for my sake. It needs to happen for her sake. It needs to happen for the Ecclesia's sake. This needs to be done. I mean, look, ladies and gentlemen, seriously, I want to ask you this. If you go to church, do you study the Bible at your church? I don't mean have a sermon because that's not studying it when you have a sermon. Do you have a teacher or a preacher in the classroom setting where you can ask questions and you just study the biblical text in a classroom setting? What you need. That's what you need right there. So, anyway, uh, with that being stated, boy. Boy, we was all over the gambit tonight, wasn't we, Aaron? Uh, we was everywhere. Um, we was in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. Uh, that's where it emphatically states where paradise is at. Paradise is emphatically in the third heaven, no doubt about it. We read. Uh, um, let's see here, First uh, Peter chapter three. Um, we read from there a little bit. Um, we uh, seems like it was more of a theological discussion than the end-time discussion. Well, this is important because everybody says that um, Jesus right now is building you mansions in heaven, and that's where you're going to be raptured to, Aaron. And what is uh, yeah? And our stance is. No, no, he's not. You don't go to heaven, Aaron. The kingdom of heaven is on earth. Jesus comes to you. That's what the Bible always says. So this is most definitely an end-time topic for the end-time tribute. You better figure out where he went and what was the place he prepared for you. Because since that event... If you die, you don't go into Hades. If you're a Christian, you go into the third heaven. You go to paradise. And if you're wondering what you're going to be doing there, read uh, Isaiah chapter 61, and it describes to you what you're going to be doing. And then it tells you at the end of Isaiah 61 how you're going to be readorned with a resurrected body of salvation and then you're going to come with Christ back to the late great planet Earth and set up his millennial reign. 
So this is most assuredly for the end-time tribune. Because this is a massively important question. So, anyway, maybe next time we will get, uh, we'll field some questions maybe and uh, do it that way. So even JMG is saying that uh, that he wants something consistent I can engage with also. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with him. What's needed is something consistent that he can engage because then, well, I know JMG because he's did this to me before. He will store his questions, and then when we go on, he'll ask all of his questions that he's been thinking about trying to duplicate all week. You know, let's say he's studying in Galatians chapter 3. Well, the next time I go on the air, he can ask me those questions about Galatians chapter 3. So consistency is a must, and this is absolutely doable. Correct, Aaron? I mean, this is doable. So, Yeah, I think so. Anyway, you could uh, we could even do this while you're at school, um, and that's really what we should be concerned with. If if people are really having trouble in their biblical studies at school, I mean, we need to be able to help them out because they are going to be our future preachers. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. All right. Well, uh, good session. Uh, Aaron, uh, say your goodbyes and how people can get a hold of you. And uh, more importantly, let's not forget to plug your second edition. Yeah, um, I just released my second edition of the Book of Enoch. It this time it is in both paperback and ebook format. You can get it on Amazon, um, and. Uh, my, my my book is basically a uh, translation of Enoch from the Greek. Most translations are from the Ethiopic. I, uh, I, I translated from the Greek Ochmium fragment. And um, I uh, added the Strong's Dictionary to it uh, for study. And, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is definitely a new view of the book of Enoch that can be compared to the scripture. So um, uh, that is now available. Um, this second edition includes fragments of the Book of the Giants and the Book of Noah, and I reconstructed them and made an attempt to fix the corruptions of the texts um, that appeared over time. So uh, you can definitely check that out, uh, please, on I am available on Facebook and on uh, Instagram at punkmo rocker uh, with an underscore between the punkmo and rocker. You there, Dad? 